Welcome, everybody, to the Happy Buildings podcast on the Rosenberg and Estes podcast network. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Lindenbaum. Uh, and who am I? I've been a real estate litigator, dealmaker, investor, speculator uh, in New York and New Jersey for my entire career, approximately 20 years. Uh, I'm a member here at, at R&E in New York. We're a full service real estate firm that has about 90 attorneys practicing in all areas of real estate law from litigation to administrative law, transactions, bankruptcy, tax, construction, you name it. If it touches real estate, we, we handle it. Um, I've been with the firm for approximately 10 years and uh, my law practice has introduced me to clients, adversaries, colleagues, strategic partners, uh, all in all sectors of real estate and, uh, and real estate law. So this podcast is going to try to introduce you all to some of the key players that I've met over the years. Uh, everybody has their own origin story, their path to success in, in real estate and uh, in this business uh, to unlock the secrets that uh, each of my guests have uh, uncovered along the way. And uh, with any luck, we'll find out that uh, one of the keys to success in real estate is, uh, is having a rich and, and trusted relationship between attorney and client. Uh, everyone has their origin story, like I said, and I thought I would start this first pod podcast off with a little bit of mine, and that story keeps evolving each day, which is why they call it the practice. Um, but at, I definitely took a 90-degree turn into real estate. Um, I started at Cornell uh, for undergrad, which was a very big Ivy League school, and I was studying industrial and labor relations. This was a, a small class of about 250 18-year-old uh, kids who immediately honed in on something extremely specific. Uh, we, we talked about, uh, learned about workplace, economics, um, labor relations, union history, and organizing. And uh, about 85% of our graduating class went on to law school. And uh, some really wanted to effectuate change in that, um, in that field. And I thought I was one of them. And others just went to law school to keep the ball in the air uh, while they were figuring it all out. Um, but I did my law school uh, at St. John's in Queens, and I did fairly well. I was in the top 25% of my class, and I was focused on labor and employment for my first two years, continuing what I had learned at Cornell. And uh, I did a bunch of internships working for various union unions and uh, management side firms, and I did this one management anti-union avoidance uh, business trip to an auto factory in Kentucky. And it was a really interesting trip and I learned a lot and, and we accomplished the mission, but it made me realize that if I really wanted to practice this area of law that I liked, I was gonna have to spend a lot more time in Kentucky uh, than I would in New York City, which has never really been a, a union town. So at the same time, um, I, while I was in law school, uh, I began to fall in love with New York City. I had a couple of crappy apartments at first, uh, and then I fell into this amazing uh, luxury apartment, a floor through Brownstone on West 94th Street in Central Park West, uh, which was uh, a burgeoning area at the time. It was on the fringe of, of what was considered the Upper West Side. I paid $2,700 a month, and all around me, uh, the rest of the apartments were SRO apartments, single room occupancy. And I had found out from the owner, who was like a family friend, uh, that he had bought the building for $330,000. And he was strategizing with his lawyer to get each one of these SRO tenants out uh, on any theory that they can come up with. Uh, the principal one was that they could um, uh, take over the uh, building for their own family use. 
so I watched all this happen. And as each tenant left, uh, the value of that building just increased. Um, and when the last tenant left, I think it was worth probably about $6 million. And that was back in 2003. And it's probably worth five times that today. So, you know, the owner of that building who had become a friend, you know, taught me that you can live in your wealth. Uh, and that was the beauty of real estate. Um, I, uh, I bought my first co-op apartment also in a burgeoning neighborhood of Park Slope. Um, you know, and I, I flipped that after a couple of years for about $150,000 profit. And uh, I was hooked. I've, I found this upside in real estate. And uh, by the time I graduated law school, this just fascinated me. It, uh, it guides me through my practice, uh, trying to find the upside, try to find the next neighborhood, try to find the uncommon deal um, and uh, help me and my clients capture upside uh, in real estate. And uh, Rosenberg and Estes has been doing this for um, oh, its clients since 1975, and, and I've been proud to be a part of it. Um, and so these are the kinds of clients and peers and contacts and friends that you'll hear from on this podcast who have stories, I'm sure, different but similar in ways to mine. Um, you'll meet clients who I've litigated for uh, all the way to trial or appeal, clients who I just manage their day-to-day -day litigation needs and resolve their cases in relatively short order, and uh, others who I just help their, shape their business strategy, help them learn about the ever-shifting statutes, laws, regulations on the state, city, federal level that keep hitting owners um, nonstop. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we just strategize on how to navigate the litigation landscape in real estate. So my first guest is with us now. He's either bored to tears or <laughs> from my intro, or he may be excited that he gets uh, to have the first laugh at uh, my origin story. Uh, with us is Brian Milberg the co-founder and senior partner of Cytex Group, a leader in the industrial real estate sector in the Northeast. Uh, Brian's done industrial real estate deals nationwide throughout his career, uh, but Cytex's current focus is, and development is in uh, New York and New Jersey area. Um, Brian's my perfect first guest. We've been at the negotiating table together and around the pool in the tennis court. We've talked real estate, we've talked trash, uh, and I know he'll have a lot, a lot of his origin story to share. So Brian, welcome. Thanks for having me, Adam. Good to be here. All right. Glad to have you. Your story uh, did not put me to sleep. It just made me feel that it's good to surround yourself in life with people that are smarter than you. <laughs> well, that's good. That's what, what, one thing that you're going to be looking for in an attorney, but uh, I don't know that is true. Um, tell us about Cytex and uh, what your company's all about, your words. Uh, we've been, you know, buying and developing industrial buildings uh, really since 2009. Um, and we are true value creators. We are guys that you know look for the assets that we wanna own. And we've built our company culturally as a place where you need to go out, find the assets, cultivate relationships with generational owners and get to the real estate kind of through what we call the old school approach as opposed to the capital markets approach where people um, you know, bid on assets and um, properties are widely marketed to 100, 200 different types of um, buyers. So we are truly hands-on street level, local buyers. Um, and uh, 
that's kind of been our formula. Um, everyone talks about sometimes how hard the market, how hard the market is to acquire assets, find assets, find properties, um, and we're good at keeping our head down and staying focused. How'd you get your start in real estate? I mean, it was before 2009, right? Uh, way before 2009. Um, I graduated Georgetown in 2000 and got into, at the time, which was the, uh, the dot-com era, and found myself uh, hitting the refresh button on Netscape, for those of you who remember that web browser, uh, hitting refresh on MarthaStewartLiving.com for Kraft Foods to see how many times a banner would appear um, per day. So that was my job. And that job led me to think that this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And uh, I wanted to get out of a seat. I wanted to touch and feel what I was doing for a living. Uh, I spoke to as many people as I knew, as I could find. Anytime I met somebody new, I asked them what they did, what they enjoyed, what they didn't enjoy. And everything kind of had um, kind of kept going towards real estate. Um, I wanted to be entrepreneurial. I did not want to be looking at a screen all day. I wanted to be meeting different types of people. So on my 12 month anniversary um, of hitting the refresh button, uh, I left and got into um, brokerage. Uh, the firm at the time was Collier's and the people that were around me that got me the interviews um, through my network um, basically told me if I'm in brokerage for more than three years, I'll never get out. Uh, so I marked it on my calendar. Um, I said, OK, I'm going to do brokerage for three years and then go learn the buy side. Uh, on my exact third year anniversary, um, I went and um, was introduced, I guess I can rewind a little bit, but I was introduced uh, to a company called Keystone Property Trust. And Keystone Property Trust was a very large industrial REIT. Um, and they were primarily, I would say, Northeast and Midwest. And the principals there I became friendly with when I was in brokerage. And uh, right on my third year anniversary, when I was ready to leave brokerage, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to reach out to these guys. I'm going to go start, hopefully, at the bottom, be an analyst. This was my closest relationship. And I read the newspaper the next day, and they just sold the entire company um, to a company called Prologis. So I then said, okay, well, I need to get onto the buy side. And they ended up reaching out and calling the um, one of the principals there. Um, and we were both living on the Upper West Side at the time. We grabbed a beer and we just started talking about what they were doing, what I was looking to do, and it matched up. And um, I went and started with them and they formed a new company called KTR Capital Partners. And they went from the public se sector at the time to the private sector. And it was then where I really learned how to build from the ground up, um, going into new markets, create new relationships, and really learn industrial markets outside of what I was kind of raised in in brokerage for those three years of New Jersey. So I kind of, um, a counterpart of mine and myself kind of split up the country the wrong way, um, the long way horizontally instead of going this way. And uh, I was flying literally from New York to Chicago to Seattle up to Toronto. Um, and it was an incredible experience. Um, the, the two guys that really um, spearheaded the company um, are, were as smart as you can find in our industry. Um, so I learned how to identify assets, understand assets, go into meetings at the age of 26 years old, convince sellers to sell. Um, develop buildings, go through entitlements. Uh, and it was an incredible experience. Fast forward to 2000, early 2008, I felt that my learning curve had plateaued and my end game was 
to go off on my own. And uh, I told myself the next downturn, I'm going off on my own with not much savings, but I could try and figure it out. Uh, Lehman hit a few months later. I was like, wow, that was a little too soon. Was not expecting it to happen that quickly. <laughs> but I also saw opportunity. Um, I felt that it was a great time to let the dust settle a little bit and then figure out how to um, kind of create my own company. Um, I got friendly. One of the things you do in our world is it's because it's so small as you get as friendly with all your competitors as you can. It's important to know what they're doing, what they're not doing. Um, and a lot of us have the same relationships and same attorneys. Um, we're constantly signing waivers so we can work with the same attorneys. So it's an incredibly small world. Um, and one of my friends that I got friendly with, who was a small competitor in Chicago, is a gentleman by the name of David Friedman, who to this day is still my partner. And uh, I told him that what I was doing, and he was like, well, how do we figure this out together? And, um, and that's what we did. And we started Cytex Group, and we started building uh, or buying very small properties. At the time, we raised some friends and family capital. And we quickly ran out of money, as most people do when they're starting out in real estate, because you have to invest in every deal. And we kind of looked at each other one day, and we said, well, what do we do now? <laughs> we need more capital. So we uh, put our suits on, which we rarely do. And we reached out to our network again and started meeting with all different types of capital. And we came across um, the State Teachers Retirement System of Ohio. And this was, I guess, 2011-ish. Um, and again, we just saw where values were relative to historical values because of the recession or the recovery that we were starting to see. And we saw opportunity. Um, fair, to, fair to say that those investors started small with you and then have done larger deals with you over time? Yes, the state teachers started small with us as kind of a test case. Um, they gave us some capital um, and we meshed. We got the capital out. We thought very smart. And then they re-upped with us. We raised more capital and then we continued to grow the business, um, both from a portfolio standpoint, but also geographically. And we ended up opening up an office on the West Coast. And now we were in New York, Chicago, and um, Manhattan Beach in California, which I love to visit. So, and we, we, were, we were doing great across the country. Um, and then 2017 hit. And David and I kind of looked at each other. Our kids were getting, I, I, I just had had my third kid. David's kids were just approaching middle school. And we kind of looked at each other and said, let's, you know, we're tired of traveling. Uh, we want to see our kids grow up. So we made a business decision to kind of close down Chicago, close down LA, sell those assets and bring it into kind of an hour, hour and a half drive from our homes. And it's been a, it's been great. Um, it's really been fun. We've grown the business here and, you know, we, uh, we've done, you know, probably one of the most active buyers now in New York and New Jersey. How have you seen the industrial sector change since since you guys started in 09? Quite a bit. You know, the, the, the easiest stories I can give is I'd, I'd go to a, a dinner event that was completely unrelated to our business and I'd be talking to somebody and they'd look at me and say, so what do you do? And this was kind of 2009, 2010. And I'd look at them and say, you know, I'm an industrial real estate um, buyer developer. And they would look at me with kind of a perplexed look and say, so you convert artist lofts? into you convert warehouses into residential and I, I then I would get into no everything you're wearing everything you see comes from a warehouse everything that's in a store comes from a warehouse um, today you go to that same dinner and you tell them that you're in warehousing and they immediately go oh e-commerce 
Uh, so, you know, it's it, because now everyone, including your next door neighbor, knows what we do. It's brought that many more buyers into the market uh, and it's become more of a core asset now. Uh, what would have first appealed to me when I got into why I chose industrial in 2000, you know, 2001 was that it required very little investment after you acquired the asset going forward. Uh, and you can land credit, you can land term with tenants. And it just, it made sense to me, even though rents did not grow that much um, at the time, uh, it just made sense to me. Office made no sense to me, um, with the amount of capital they had to put in. And I'm just, I'm not an accountant. I couldn't figure out depreciation. Um, so that made no sense. And then I looked at residential and everyone that I knew that owned residential had management companies because you're managing tenants as opposed to managing the assets. Um, and then retail, again, high barrier entry didn't really make a lot of sense to me. So industrial was this, the spot where I wanted to try it out. And I felt that it was a very low barrier to entry and not a lot of people were doing it. Uh, and that's what attracted me to it. And, uh, and as you guys have grown, how has the culture of SciTech changed? Is it, is it just you and David or how have you grown? It's a great question. And David and I started out in the basement of a brownstone in Brooklyn with no windows. And now we have 7,000 feet and 15 employees and you become, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to, I'm, I'm a, that's why David and I are great partners. We're kind of the yin and the yang. Uh, he's the people person, the people in the office, you know, his door's always open. Me, I'm a deal guy. When there's something that we're working on, I'm very focused. I need to be in my office, focused, doing what I do best and constantly reminded that we have a whole company out there also that needs to be brought in and be a part of everything. And it's, it's a growing experience. It's all been a learning experience, uh, but we love having the team that we have and we're all able to leverage our time and, and energy off of each other and, and it creates success as a company. Give us a little taste of, of what you do best. I mean, tell us just a, a snippet of a, of a deal that you're proud of or accomplishment success story. Yeah, the, the very first deal that David and I did when we started the company, um, I think we had about $7 million of equity left in the fund and it was a $14 million fund. And a deal came across our desk from a relationship that I had had from my early brokerage days. And the entire deal size was $14 million. And we had no idea what we were going to do and how we were going to acquire this asset. And we went into due diligence. We loved the value that we were buying this. And it was just David and I, it was just two of us. And each of us had almost no money left in our savings accounts. And the, the, we were at the end of due diligence. The seller, um, you know, calls me up four days before and says, are you ready to waive? And we were feeling good about everything. We had aligned, we had a, lined up a capital partner that we felt great about. We had a signed term sheet and we had told the seller we're ready to go. Uh, two days later, the sell or our capital partner uh, walks away from the deal. So we now have two days left of due diligence, no capital to close. And this is a long-term relationship who I've told we're, we're good with, we're good. We're ready to move forward. So David was still living in Chicago at the time I was in New York. I fly out to meet with David, we go out for lunch, we're brainstorming. Was David was in Chicago at the time. No, but the deal was in Chicago? The deal was in New Jersey. Um, and, but I flew out there cause we just, we had to figure this out and I wanted to get out of my environment and we sit down at lunch and we're just talking about the deal, the seller. And as we're talking, 
you know, and again, this is why partnerships are so great in real estate. Um, we basically look at each other and said, you know what, maybe we go to the seller and ask for seller financing. So we do the quick math at the time, interest rates were 6% and everyone's kind of laughing if you look today, cause they're back there. Um, but interest rates at the time were 6%. We went to the seller and said, uh, how would you like to make another $80,000 a month post-closing for a couple of years on top of the sale price? Uh, the dynamic of the seller allowed him to provide seller financing. Uh, we sent, my attorney shoots me over a loan document that was about 50 pages long. I told him this needs to be about five pages long. <laughs> uh, he laughed. He's like, how do I do that? I said, just strip out everything that's not necessary for, you know, someone that's 90 years old that needs to read that does not have, you know, that only has a typewriter. So, and a fax machine. So. He sends me back a five page document. I fax it off to the seller. We had about eight hours left of due diligence. He then uh, literally signs it. The fax comes in, we close on the deal. Uh, now keep in mind, this was a 200,000 foot vacant building in a time where leasing was still very soft. Yeah. And we did our work. We, we did what we needed to do. We leased up the entire building uh, within the next six months um, at pro forma rents. And then we took it out to the market six months later and uh, we sold it to a pension fund for two times what we were into the asset for. And that kind of was the beginning of, of Cytex Group. Um, and, and you felt the pain, you felt the stress. And that was the first of probably the first seven or eight transactions that we felt that pain. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, and a great example of how lawyers could get in the way of a deal. So <laughs> sometimes the business sense takes over. That's why we wish we would have had you. You would have gotten it quickly. I would have done it four pages. That's right. <laughs> anyway, you know, our, our listeners are, are a lot of lawyers, people who rely on lawyer advice in their in their day to day operations. What kind of qualities do you seek in, in your counsel relationships? You know, it's funny. It's 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 very difficult to find great attorneys that in our world are, you have to align with personal uh, personality wise, because our world is, is you need to be chameleons with sellers and sellers attorneys. And, you know, I, I categorize attorneys in two ways. You've got the guys that make deals and the guys that kill deals. Um, and the attorneys that are deal makers um, are the guys you love to do transactions with. And a lot of the attorneys that we've used on the transactional side are actually guys we've been against on the other side where we were impressed by how they represented their clients and how they figured out problems to get to a closing. Um, you know, and, and we as Cytex, we are a very small company relative to our peers and we are incredibly fast moving and that's a big competitive advantage of ours. And if we have the attorneys that work with us, they know how demanding we are. They know that we need things yesterday and attention to detail and figuring out wordsmithing to get the things you need um, are probably the most mission critical. And on top of that, it's the relationship. It's to know that you can call that attorney after business hours. They're going to be responsive when you need them because real estate is not a nine to five job. Um, you know, we, we were going through contracts on Saturday of this past weekend for a transaction we're working on. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a, you know, businesses run 24 seven and we need to be around on those off hours to transact. Uh, so working with smart, thoughtful, 
responsive and detail-oriented attorneys are everything. Great. So now that the world, hopefully this podcast will have a broad reach, um, you know, who, who do you want this podcast to reach? I mean, <laughs> it's a good to, question. To get a, a little bit of that Cytex magic, maybe this capital out there that wants to come knocking on your door, you tell me. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's 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 sellers. Um, we are we always find ourselves to be the easiest buyer when a broker has a transaction and they know they just need someone that can come in, figure out problems, you know, kind of dust off whatever the issues are with the property and have a, an end game for a seller. That's when they bring us in. We are not your highest paying buyer, but we problem solve in a great way. And a lot of that is attributed to the attorneys that are on our team. Uh, including you, Adam. I mean, it's it's a, it's a big part of our business. Um, a lot of what we buy are problem childs. They're they're things that sellers don't want to deal with anymore. And and to have the right team on our side of the fence that's ready to kind of take over the property, divide and conquer the problems, and then kind of take it to its next next legacy or next life. Um, that's what we're best at. Cool. Well, hopefully, uh, some R and E clients or. Uh... You know, people on our mailing list will will hear about you know your success story and get some inspiration. <laughs> I hope so too. Thanks a lot, Brian. Appreciate it. So um, I don't know. Well, just to wrap up, uh, if anybody thinks about ways to synergize with Brian Cytex, uh, reach out to me. We'll be happy to try to set up an introduction. And of course, if RE can help you in any way in the litigation field, transactions, any aspect of real estate. Uh, reach out. We'd love to help you meet your business objectives and uh, do it in an efficient way that won't break the bank. <laughs> All right. So this is Adam Lindenbaum, uh, member of the litigation department at Rosenberg and Estes PC. You can feel free to reach me anytime, 212-867-6000 or a Lindenbaum at RosenbergEstes.com. Thanks.